family, good morning, good morning. Thank you for allowing us to come into your home this morning. I pray that that time of worship was, uh, was hidden for you. You know, I know that there's some challenges to sometimes sitting in a room and interacting with the worship leader on screen and trying to worship. And uh, I just want to thank you for kind of stepping through and working through some of those challenges. You know, even being in a home for those of us who are gathered, you know, with some other people, being in a home together. Um, it could be different, you know, worshiping uh, through the TV or being guided by a worship leader on TV and having that sense of worship together as a, as a community, as a group. So I just want, I want to thank you. You know, I, um, I want to warn you, I'm a little sober um, as I've been wrestling with the text for us today. And by sober, I just mean my heart is, is moved by what the Lord um, wants to say to us today, I believe, and what he's been saying to me. Um, as we continue our series in Philippians. And I think that the, the, the approach, the feel is going to be a little different than how uh, I normally would communicate the scriptures a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I think it's necessary for today. So just go with me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We bring your name, honor, and glory by preparing our hearts to receive your word, Father. Father, we don't just need another message. Father, we don't need another Sunday where we sing a couple songs, hear a couple points, get a good example, some ideas on how to apply it, click a couple links and go about our business. Father, we need to be changed on the deepest level, at the deepest level, we need to be transformed. Father, we want to see the world as you see it. We want to see ourselves as you see it. And most importantly, we want to receive our Christ, the one who came, walked, lived among us. So I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to do that so that we can be everything you've called us to be. And so that we can walk closely with you. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. 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 You know, this passage today, Paul kind of gets into his testimony. He gets a little bit into his story. But it's more, it's more than just a testimony service. You know, it's more than just him kind of like getting the people excited because uh, he has something good to say. You get the sense that he is writing and communicating and pouring out his heart onto that piece of paper that he's writing. You know, in this letter that he's writing, you get the sense that he's pouring out of everything in him as he's thinking about who his God is, what his God has done for him, what he's gone through over the last 30 or so years. It's been about 30 years since the Apostle Paul has founded this church, the Philippian church. So he's writing this letter to them and he's pouring out. And my, my prayer today is that as we get into the text that that. I'll be able to communicate in that same way, pouring out not just information, not just facts, right? But the, the essence of who God is and the essence of why he has saved me. And I pray that you as the listener can, can also hear with those same ears the, the fact that God loves you and that God has called you and that God wants to know you. He wants you to know him intimately and he wants you to walk with him. And that is, that's really the essence of the message for today. 
So I'm calling it, uh, I'm calling the message W. All right. Now, some of you may be familiar, especially some of our younger listeners, with the terminology. Um, I actually got the, got the term from my son, who is an avid video game player. And I can overhear him sometime talking to his friends, uh, using words that I don't fully understand. And it's just lingo or slang. And I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to ear hustle so I can kind of figure out what he's saying so I can be the cool dad and use the cool terms. And I utterly fail. But one of the things I hear him say a lot, they use these, these letters that represent terms, right? W's and L's. And I've heard L's before, but I hadn't really heard them use the term W. And this, this idea behind the W is, has to do with winning. Winning something, attaining something, gaining something. And the idea around the L, of course, you guessed it, it's losing. It, is, it represents a loss. And that's kind of the essence of what Paul is getting after in our text for today. So if you can meet me in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read the first 11 verses together. And Paul writes, finally, my brothers. Now, I like how the NIV says, and sisters, this is for you two ladies. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I just want to talk to you for a few moments here about what do you know? And how do you know that you know it? Like, what do you know that you know? What are you confident in that you like, you know something and you know it well? Like if someone were to ask you about it, you could, you could tell them how it works, how it operates. You can give them the history of it. You can give them all the ins and outs around it. Like what do you know? Maybe it's a science. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a, an event, world history. Maybe you're a history buff. Maybe it's a person. It's a person. 
I've been married to my wife for 25, almost 25 years, 25 years in April. Hey, I'm going to say that as much as possible this year, so just get ready. 25 years is a big deal. Uh, we've been together almost 30 years, uh, 29 years, and I would like to think that I know her. I'd like to think that I know her. Now, fellas, just a little, a little quick tip here. Um, once you think you know them, they change. <laughs> so you got to keep on getting to know them. Right, you got to keep on putting the work in. But I think that I could say confidently that I know this woman. And I know her because I've spent a lot of time with her. I know her because we've been through some things. I know her because I've been able to, to watch her day in and day, not day and night. I'm, uh, I'm aware of when she walks in the room, I'm aware. Like there's this, there's this awareness that, that I can't explain. Um, I actually remember the first uh, time I had this, this, this feeling. I didn't plan on going here, but I'm just going to go here, right? I had this inner knowing. It was 1994, Valentine's Day, February 14th. And I'm waiting for her. We're about to go on a date. I'm waiting for her to come down the stairs. And she comes down the stairs, y'all. And literally, I felt something inside, inside me leap, like my baby left, Fonz. I, I don't know what to call it, but like I had the feels. I had all the feels in that moment. And, and she literally took my breath away. Now, as an asthmatic, you know, I keep an inhaler, right? <laughs> that, was not, that would not be a cool move on the first day to have to use the inhaler. So like, I got through that moment, but I felt it viscerally. This woman's beauty took me away. Then I began to know the deepest parts of her over time and know her even more. And as I've gotten to know her, um, I've, I've done better at loving her. And this is a lifelong journey. And I, I want to challenge you as we, you know, as we look at this text here, Paul is giving us this picture of, of what he knows. And he's putting it up against the backdrop of something that he used to know. And he compares the two for us. And we're going to unpack that in a minute here. But before we get into that, I want you just to kind of think about what is it that you think that you know that you can explain well? And, and, and what did it take for you to know it? My next question is, would you say confidently that you know the Lord? that you know Jesus, okay? Well, whatever your response is, how do you explain that? Why do you know him? Or how do you know him? Or why do you not know him? Like these are the kind of questions that as I've been praying and reading this text and praying and reading and, and trying to memorize it, that I keep hearing the Holy Spirit ask me, like, do you think you know me? You think that you know me? And it is a, it's, it's an unsettling place to be if you know that there's so much more that God has been calling you to experience with him. There's so many more things that he wants to show you and that he, he wants to experience with you, yet you have been satisfied with the mundane or the familiar, you've been satisfied with, with where you are now and not 
wanting to or desiring to even grow or go even further. And I pray that that's not you today, but I, I, I sense by the Spirit of God that this is indicative of the church. This is indicative to not just Detroit church, but the, the big C church. And let me give a little bit more specific. I will say the American church, the contemporary church in America as we know it. And I'm not here to bash on the church. It's not my bride. I have a bride. It's the Lord's bride. And he's faithful to his bride. He's a son over his own house, right? So he's, he's, he, he's going to do the work of separating, you know, the, the, the wheat, the tear in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the wheat, separating the sheep from the goats. But, but, but we're part of this bride. We're part of this. It's important that we understand that and that we together learn to respond to his calling and respond to his wooing. So what Paul is giving us here, he, there are a few things that he wants us to know to help us know him, to help us experience him, to help us to, to walk with him and to grow in our walk with him. And the first thing that he says is, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. This word there, finally, is not Paul winding down the letter. He's actually only halfway through. This word there, finally, a better interpretation, a translation would probably uh, say something like, so then rejoice in the Lord. Now this rejoicing is, it's not a temporary emotion like happiness. No, the word happiness is rooted in, in the word, the Latin, uh, in, in the Latin is happenstance. And this word just, you know, it's kind of like a, things happen by chance. You know, one day you feel happy, the next day you don't feel happy. No real reason. No real reason. That's not joy. Biblical joy is based on a person. Biblical joy is based on a relationship. So Paul defines that for us when he says rejoice where? In the Lord. That's the only way that we can have joy. This is supernatural. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This doesn't like, this is not affected by things that I'm going through. Not biblical joy. This is deeper than how I feel in my body. This is deeper than how confident I am in my abilities or myself. No, this is, this is supernatural. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what he births in us. And this is the fruit of knowing him, the fruit of walking with him. So he says, rejoice where in the Lord, based upon a person. Then he says, uh, to write these things to you, no trouble for me, no big deal to me. He says, matter of fact, it's safe for you. Now, what he wants us to know is that there is an importance and a discipline to being rooted in the gospel, rooted in the scriptures, to rehearse the fundamentals and the foundation of our faith. He says, it's, it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you that I already wrote to you. Now, let's be honest. Some of us, we want to hear all kinds of like new messages. Teach me about this. Let's talk about this. And I get all kinds of ideas and emails and, and, and text messages about blogs and, and all kinds of interesting stuff, right? No, not that those things are bad, but I want you to know that we want to be a same things kind of church that Paul talks about. Where we continually preach the same thing, the essence of the gospel, because this is no trouble to us and it's safe for you. In a day and age where there are all kinds of 
ideas that are flirting with other gospels, other ways of knowing God. Paul is like, and he's going to unpack it in a minute here for us, but he's like, yo, this is good for you. You need this. I'm going to give it to you again. Let's not be those with itching ears that get tired of, of the truth because we think we've heard it before. However, our lives are not necessarily bearing the fruit that, that shows that we've heard it before and that we're walking in it. So we need to keep on hearing it. And his audience needed to keep on hearing it because Paul knew what was in front of them by the Spirit of God. So he tells them, look out for the dogs. He says, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This word there, look out, is a strong word, y'all. In some translations, it's, it's translated as beware. It's like, yo, like man up, guard up, know what's about to take place, know like where your enemy is, know how your adversary is going to come at you. And specifically what he's referencing is those Judaizers or a group of people who, who came preaching another gospel. And this was still a major, major issue in the early church with those who would come and would try to add to the gospel by telling the people of God, specifically the Gentiles, that they needed something more than grace. They needed to perform a certain way. They needed to, 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 to count up like their, you know, all the things that they can do for God, like be circumcised. And, 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 and have, you know, submit these sacrifices and, and, and perform all of these rituals like that was something that God was still interested in. And Paul is saying not so. So he's saying beware, be on the lookout for them. This is a strong word, y'all. Now, he uses the word look out for the dogs. Now, for some of us pet lovers out there, you may find that kind of odd, but, but it's a different context that Paul is, is speaking of, and it's a different cultural context that he's living in. This is not a reference to like a domesticated animal. This is not a reference to a domesticated, nice, cute dog. No, these dogs were vicious. They would often run in packs, and they would wander. And they would, when they would wander, and they would, they, would, they would move in a group, and they would find people, and they would attack them. And it would be, it, would, it was causing havoc uh, around, in, in, in early times it would cause havoc wherever there was groups of people. So Paul is saying that is how those who are coming with this other gospel, this message, that they're presenting it as truth. And if you're not careful, it's so easy to buy into it. Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for the, those who, who mutilate the flesh. Now, the, those who mutilate the flesh is a, is a pagan reference to worship. This is how the pagans worshiped. And Paul says in verse 4, he says, for we are the circumcision. For we are the circumcision, those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Again, he says they worship by the Spirit of God. They glory in Christ Jesus and they put no confidence in the flesh. Now, what he's doing, he's giving us a picture here of what a true worshiper is. Things that a true worshiper does. Now, I grew up hearing a lot about worship. I grew up uh, being in a church that, that probably had a very narrow view of worship, I would say. Um, and that, I know that sounds negative, and I don't mean it to sound or to way negative, because I'm also grateful for what I learned about being in the presence of God. 
and, and I know that God's presence is everywhere, but our awareness is, is always not where it should be. So I grew up in this church that, that taught us how to labor into waiting God's presence. And that certainly is a form of worship, but there's more to worship than that. In John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters the, the woman at the well, and I can't get, give you the whole backdrop of this story here, but one of the things that Jesus says to her in verses 23 and 24, he says, the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Then he says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus repeats this phrase in spirit and in truth twice here in this passage. And this, for us, it defines the essence of, of what true worship is. Now, I want to ask you another question. I got a lot of questions today. Uh, why, do, why do you think it is that God allowed you to be born? Why do you think it is that God allows you to, to continue to walk his earth and Walk his real estate, breathe his air. Why do you think it is that God allowed you to wake up this morning? Because the essence of what Jesus is trying to say to the woman at the well and the essence of what Paul is helping us understand, if we claim to really know him or to want to know him and to walk with him, that very essence of, of our being and our livelihood is about worship. And the dogs, the evildoers, these, these other ideas about the gospel that take away from what Jesus has done by trying to get us to perform, they rob us of that sense of worship. They rob us of having that heart of worship. It's interesting, this, this word there, worship, means to bend over and to kiss and to behave like a dog that is licking his master's hand. I thought that was interesting, especially the way that Paul just, just calls the Judaizers dogs. When he says to look out for the dogs, but then he gives them this picture of we're different. We are the circumcision. When he uses the word circumcision, what he's saying to them is God was never interested uh, ultimately in these, the, these, the ritual of circumcision. What God was always interested in, this, in was a circumcision of the heart. What that means is a cutting away of the heart, of being separated for him and for him only. Paul wants us to know this is how you know him. This is how you win. This is how you achieve what you're longing for in life. See, I believe that there's a lot in this passage if we really listen to it and, and by the Holy Spirit, we can see what God is after in us. It'll bring so much clarity to your life, to God's purpose for your life. Honestly, this will help you understand your purpose in life. I know there's been a lot of talk over the years, the last 25 years or so. Like, what is my purpose? What am I here to do? This right here explains it. Paul says, for we are the circumcision. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God. Please hear this. That's, that's the only way to worship. The only way that we can worship is because the Holy Spirit has drawn us and, 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 and allows us to see the Father for who he really is. The only way we can rightly respond to the Father is because we've been drawn. Worship without the Spirit of God is not true worship. It's not true worship. Paul is saying, but we are different. We, those of us who have been circumcised in the heart, we worship by the Spirit of God and we glory not. I mean, we glory in, not in the flesh, but we glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in the flesh. 
He also wants them to know by saying we put no confidence in the flesh. The way that you know God is also by knowing your weaknesses, <laughs> like knowing your limitations, knowing what you are incapable of doing in and of yourself. Now, I was going to do a, a whole list of like, you know, W's, like ways to win. Like This is how you can win. And maybe that'd be for another date or so. But I felt like what God wanted us, to, you know, how he wanted us to receive this message this morning was more of an impartation uh, than a traditional teaching like we may normally do. But it's, it's important that we do not put confidence in our flesh. Romans 8 tells us those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He says, but you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Mm. So what he's saying here is if you've been born again. Like you have the goods, you have the wiring that you need. The spirit of God lives in you. All you have to do is deny your flesh. I'm not saying that's easy, but you deny your flesh. You recognize that there's nothing good in this flesh. Mm. You got to like you have to remind yourself of that. I know many of us may have heard the scripture before. We may know it up here, but we have to rehearse that there's nothing good in this flesh. The flesh is good for one thing, dying. Dying. If I'm going to know him, if I'm going to walk with him, if I'm going to hear him. See, this is my concern. So many of us are so adjusted to going through life, knowing him here, not knowing him here. And we're not hearing from him. We can't discern or see when he's moving. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Let me ask you, as I ask myself, what is the Father doing, and am I doing that? See, when I'm putting confidence in my flesh, when I'm not killing my flesh, when I'm not starving my flesh, and it simply means to, to not give it what it wants. You know, there's a part of you that hates God. <laughs> I know it sounds bad. I know those religious, you know. Religious demons in us don't want to hear that. Like, oh, I love God with, you know, every part of me loves him. No, not your flesh. Your flesh only loves him for the extent that it could get something from him. Our flesh, like, it, it's drawn towards performance. It's drawn to, like, achievement and merit. And we have to identify that. So this is what true worship is, which is the gateway to knowing him. Paul says, we put no confidence in the flesh, those who are of the circumcision, the true circumcision, those who are true worshipers, we put no confidence in the flesh. And then what Paul goes on to do, he almost, like he gives us his resume and wanting us to understand uh, who he used to be. Now, because of time, I won't get into some of Paul's larger testimony, but we see it specifically in, in Acts chapter 9, how God got his attention. This man was, was a murderer of Christians. His name was Saul at the time, and God gets his attention, specifically Jesus. One of the things that Jesus says to him, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And I love the tenderness, but yet the, the, the pinpointed, uh, di direct 
kind of nature that, Paul, that, that Saul is communicated to by Jesus. That's when he first started to know him. <laughs> like those are the first words that Jesus said to him. We can see through, through many of Paul's writings over the 30 plus years, the interactions with his Christ, the revelation, the illuminations, the things that God did through him and in him and for him, the many miracles, the signs and the wonders, how God kept him, kept him through trials and, and trouble and, and difficulty. God kept him. But we see here, he's, 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 he's kind of drawing him with this question. Why are you persecuting me? I believe that God is still moving the same way. Jesus is still speaking to us in the same way. You may say, well, I don't, I don't kill, kill Christians. I, I, I go to church. I do my due diligence. I do all the things that I'm supposed to do. However, when we try to win his approval by religious standards or by performing, do we realize what we are robbing ourselves of? The richness of the grace of God that only comes by Christ and through Christ and Christ alone. This is the fellowship that he has called us to. So let me get back to this text here. Verse 5, Paul says, he gives us his resume. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, under the law. He says, blameless. He said, when it came to like living the part on the outside, doing the things that you should do to be a good follower of God, Paul says, I was the best at that. I did it and I did it well. What, what he's given us now, though, is a list of things that if we're not careful, we can present to God as, as elements of like pure worship and, and true worship. And the reality is those are things that God is not interested in. Now, some of you may not say, well, I'm, you know, I, I can't say I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? I can't say that I'm a Pharisee. You know, however, we do have things in our culture that we wear as, as, as this, this cloak of pride. It could be our ethnicity. It could be our education. It could be our skills or our gifts. And these things, none of those things are bad in of themselves. None of those things are evil in of themselves. But if we're not careful, Paul helps us understand if we're not careful, how they can dominate us. Let's look at his attitude towards this thing, these things. He says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, what he's speaking of is before he met Christ, those things, that resume were things that he would call W's. Those were things that he would say it's part of my resume. I'm winning, right? But he's saying, now, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Wait, do you hear this? Paul is using accounting language, financial language. It almost gives us the picture of this, this ledger. And he's given us a list of things that may look like W's, things that look like they're assets, right? And on this other list, things that may not look like an asset, they actually may look like L's. They may look like things that don't, aren't a part of what we want. 
Are we part upon of what we expect as a child of God? Paul is saying, I've counted the things that look like W's, the things that look like wins. I count them as losses. Why is that, Paul? He says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What? Family, he wants us to understand that salvation is not by ritual. Salvation is not by rank. It's not by ethnicity. Again, it's not by performance. It is simply by knowing the Son of God and receiving his work. This is the essence of our worship. Paul uses a word here, though, that I would guess was offensive to his day. And for some of us, if I was to use some comparative words, they would be offensive to us today. Paul says, all the things that I thought I worked very hard for that I thought would get me access to God, he calls those things rubbish. Now, in the Greek, this word there for rubbish is also used to define dung. You know what dung is? I think that you do. Manure, excrement, we may call it crap, poop. Uh, I don't want to get too vulgar on y'all, but Paul is saying the things that I, 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 was, I was prideful of these things. Like I was happy. I was, I was confident in my ability. Like I had a heck of a resume. Now those things are crap. They don't mean crap to me anymore. Why is that, Paul? Because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value. It is a value that, that keeps on growing. Why? Because not like my wife, who, who she's, she changes, right? I mentioned before, like, I, I, I know her very well, but I have to keep knowing her because she changes. But the Lord our God changes not. So it's not because he's fickle, but he changes. It's because he's inexhaustible. So Paul says it's, it's the surpassing worth of knowing him. And he uses the term Christ Jesus, my Lord. Ah, what a beautiful picture of the ministry of Jesus, the trifold ministry of Jesus as priest, as king, and as prophet. Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can see and hear the intimacy. Again, Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What are you willing to suffer the loss of, if necessary, to gain Christ? Is there anything in your life that you're holding on to? I'm not even talking about sin. Certainly, if it's sin, we know that we've got to lay those things down. But sometimes there can be things in our lives that are good things that we've elevated and we put them on a pedestal almost comparable to Christ. As long as I have Jesus and this, as long as I have God and my family, I'm good. But what if you don't have your family anymore? Jesus helps us understand when he says, yo, there may be a time where you might have to run away, walk away from your parents, or walk away from sons and daughters. And the context there is that there is nothing that can compare to him. Do we know him on that level? Like, have we experienced the, the sweetness of the relationship of an intimacy of, of knowing his voice, hearing his voice and walking with him? 
that we're willing to say, I will leave everything behind for you, God. I'll leave everything behind for you, Jesus. Because everything else is crap to me when it compares to you. There's no comparison. Like, if I'm fully honest, I don't know if I'm there yet. And I hate to even say that. Like, Pastor, you can't say that. Like, I want to be real with y'all. Like, I desire to be there. But there are too many things in my life that if you move it away, like, I would struggle. My joy would struggle. My peace would be fought. Like, I would really wrestle with that. I'm not talking about church. I love Detroit church, but if Detroit church closed tomorrow, I'll be fine. <laughs> but I'm talking about, like, things with my, my family, my sons, my wife. You know, I'm a competitive dude. Those who know me know that. And, uh, and <laughs> somebody in the room said, amen, amen. <laughs> and uh, not super duper athletic, but I have a love of sports and I played sports my whole life. And uh, it kind of wired me to, to compete, right? And it wired me to, to, to do whatever I can do, I have to do to win, so to speak. And I've been asking the Lord, Father, help me to take that same level of like competition, wanting to, to compete. God, help me have that same passion for you. You know, I've always been drawn to those who have a, a passionate kind of response to God. I don't know where that came from. Maybe my grandmother, I remember as a kid walking the streets with her. She was an evangelist and she'd go out on the corners and praying for people, laying hands on people, and there was such a boldness, and she was so passionate, and I've, you know, I know that this may not be everybody, but, but those who have like a, an authentic, genuine, like walk with God and pursuing him and, and, and living to know him, um, I've always been drawn to that, and recently the Lord had me reading some of the Psalms, and I just, I want to read just some of it as I close down here. Because I think, that, I think that there's something missing in our church family, if I'm honest. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Some of us, we are quick to respond to him with our minds. Others of us, we're quick to respond to him from a soulish realm. And others of us, of us we do a pretty good job giving him our hearts, right? Here's the thing, he wants it all. He wants it all. And too many times, we're in a gathered setting and there's a high time of worship and we're singing and we're praising God and too many people are just standing there like unaffected, out of touch, maybe insensitive. I'm not here to bash you. But what I want to do is call you higher. I'm not here to poke fun at you or to call you out necessarily to, to, to make an example out of you. But I pray by the Spirit of God that there's something being birthed in you that is simply a greater desire to know him. And as you get to know him, I'm telling you, like, it'll be hard not to respond to him, spirit, soul, and body. It'll be a challenge not to lift up your hands. This is the picture we, we see from David. David writes in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. For your right hand upholds me. I could read a bunch of the Psalms. I want to encourage you and challenge you, maybe if you're struggling in this area, to live more passionately for God, to express a yearning that goes beyond just an intellectual ascent or an intellectual way of receiving God. You think about the rest of our lives and how we, how we operate and how we move. Like many of us, especially us who are in the sports, your favorite team scores a basket, scores a touchdown, you're not just mentally like, oh, good touchdown, <laughs> good job. No, we're like, yes, let's go, let's get it. Like, we're excited. Like, where's that zeal for God? Like, what we see here, Paul is doing, Paul is effectively expressing this yearning. I had all these things over here, but all of those things meant nothing in comparison to knowing you, God. Like, I want to know you. One of the things that I'm concerned that the modern church is experiencing is that we don't, we can't discern God's presence. We're so accustomed to living and not being aware of him that it's when his presence is not there, we don't even know it. We don't even know it. And so many of us have gone through life where we, we, we respond to God just based on, on, on emotional things or based on, on, on uh, you know, temporary things. And I'm not talking about an emotional response. I'm talking spirit to spirit. But God made us as humans. He made us to lift up hands and to use our feet for dancing. I love the picture that we have in the book of, of Psalms and David responding to God using his whole body. My prayer for us as a as a people that we would grow in that Detroit church. Verse 9, Paul says, To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him. That I may know him. I ask you today, do you know him? Do you want to know him? Before you answer that, let me finish this verse. Let me finish this verse. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. For Paul, this is what knowing him means. It's not like favor just so that I can have a more successful life. No. Like I want everything that comes with knowing you. I want to know you to where I can share in not just the mountaintop moments, but also the, the darkest moments, the deep moments, the suffering. See, what I love about our Savior is that he can identify with our suffering. Like there's something about going through a difficult time, but still having peace, still having joy. There's something about walking through the valley of death, experiencing tragedy, crises, maybe even divorce. Maybe even some of the most gross, difficult things to imagine. We can experience 
in our humanity and in our depravity. And still we have a God who has entered through all of that mess to see us and to know us and to be known by us. Paul says that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. Listen, unless you've experienced the power of the resurrection, you can't know him. You can't know him. See, coming to Jesus is not turning over a new leaf, y'all. Like, we can't come to him. What I hear a lot in our city is, you know, hey, I've been going to church my whole life. I love God. I was baptized when I was seven. Yeah, my grandmother is a, you know, she's a deacon or she's a missionary. Praise God. Amen for grandma, right? But those things mean nothing when it comes to your salvation. Do you know him? And you can't say that you know him unless you've experienced the power of the resurrection. The word of God tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead indwells us. And that is the same creative power, the same creative miracle that caused us to be born again. So that's what it means to know him, to experience that creative miracle, to be saved. Are you, are you overly familiar with your salvation where you can't even rejoice in it anymore? Have you forgotten where God has brought you from? Have you forgotten the mess that God has saved you from? If your answer to that is yes, maybe, I think you have to examine, well, why? For some of us, I think it may be because we like to dibble and dabble in who we used to be. And I realized that this walk with God is that. It's a, it's a walk. We take one step after another. But let's remind ourselves, Paul says, I write to you these things. It's no trouble to me and it's safe for you. Like, let's keep rehearsing the beauty of the gospel and the power of the resurrection. I promise you, when you do that and you even experience the hatred from the world, you experience suffering from the world. Remember, Jesus says, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Like, are we okay with that? Jesus says, they hate me. And because you're mine, they're going to hate you too. Family, let's remember that we belong to him. Jesus says that knowing me is, is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is, like, this is what the future looks like for us. Knowing him deeper and deeper. And there's going to be hate. There's going to be, dis there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be difficulty along the way. But none of those things can compare to the richness, the surpassing worth of knowing him, Paul says. I'm done. I want to read this last verse. Verse 11, he says, That by any means necessary I may attain resurrection from the dead do you have a by any means necessary attitude about your walk with God about your walk with Jesus are you willing to do whatever you need to do to know him and to know him intimately Paul tells the Corinthian church to test yourselves or to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith I encourage you today examine yourself test yourself have you become just lukewarm in your response to God? Jesus has a word for the lukewarm church at Laodicea when he says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot 
nor cold. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. I told you this word was sobering. <laughs> but I feel the weight, almost in a prophetic sense of where we are as a people, as a church, not just Detroit church again, but the church in America. It's almost like we are satisfied with an idea of success or idea of how church should look. And we're, we're okay with that. And what this may mean, this is an unsettling word, it may mean more people may need to leave our local church, Detroit church, as we become more and more committed to knowing him and the power of the resurrection, knowing him and the fellowship of his suffering, there are going to be people who won't be able to handle that. And they may look very different than what they're looking for in the church. Are, are we okay with that, family? Listen, I pray today that you are challenged yet encouraged and growing in hunger to know him. Father, we want to know you. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to put a face on who you are. Someone that could walk this earth just like you've called us to walk the earth. And in him, we, we have an example. He didn't just come to us, but he came with us. And he laid his life down for us. Father, I pray that we, as we receive him, that we grow in knowing him, that we also can lay our lives down like he has laid his life down, that we can lay our lives down for one another, that when the world looks upon us, that they can see you because we know you. We know you. Let us not be like those who you say do all these things in my name, however, you never knew them. Father, may we continue to respond to you and continue to put to death our flesh and every carnal religious attempt to perform, expose those things, put them to death and respond to you as true worshipers in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.